Has your job taken over your life? Looks like another 12-hour day of work for me. Ugh, it seems like I'm the only person here who knows how to do this. I'll get to it as soon as I can. Yeah, I know. ASAP. ASAP. Sound familiar? I'm Erin Delmore, and this is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal. Are you one of the indispensable people at your job? You know, working long hours, never taking a day off, on call 24-7? Maybe it's time to change that and boost your value at work even more. Listen, I get it. Some of us are just hardwired to work hard. With the recent spate of layoffs happening around the country, it's easy to assume that that's the best way to keep your job. Check out this list of just a few of the big U.S. companies that are slashing their workforces. Meta, Twitter, Microsoft, Coinbase, Amazon, Head Bath & Beyond, Salesforce, Goldman Sachs, Stitch Fix, Vimeo, and McDonald's. It's enough to make even the most self-assured worker a bit jittery. And that makes taking on an extra shift or agreeing to take on a new project a little more palatable. But the reality is, you can get ahead without doing everything. It's not about being indispensable. It's about being invaluable. I'll let Liz Wiseman explain. I think there's a big difference between being indispensable, like, oh, you know, like you hold like certain keys to the kingdom and it can't function without you versus being invaluable, meaning we're building the organization around you. We wouldn't want to work without you. We wouldn't want to lose you. And Wiseman's in a good position to tell us how to make that shift in our thinking. She spent 17 years at the software company Oracle, rising to the rank of vice president. Now she's a best-selling author and teaches leadership to executives worldwide as the CEO of the Wiseman Group, with clients at Apple, AT&T, Google, Nike, and others. Being indispensable means that everything is going through you. You are primed for overwork, for burnout. And what happens is if you become indispensable and the organization can't function without you and without you in that role, well, then it's really hard to move up into bigger roles or to take on new roles because you're needed where you are and the bench is weak behind you because nobody else has had a chance to do that work versus someone who's invaluable means you're valuable here, you're valuable there, like there's headroom when you're creating value. Okay. So in my quest to become invaluable, convince me why it's important. There's two reasons why it's important now is we are in an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity and organizations are contracting their workforce. But also being seen as someone who's creating value allows work to move from being this crank that we turn, that we quiet quit, that becomes this burnout experience because we're working hard, but not seeing the impact of our work. When you are invaluable, you're doing work that has impact, that has meaning, which not only is sort of a shield in downtimes, it actually returns to you a sense of satisfaction of like the work I do matters. Okay, so you're saying that if I can figure out how to become invaluable in my job, meaning I'm literally creating value for my workplace by doing work that's really meaningful to the organization as a whole— it's better than being indispensable, which is more like putting my head down and just doing my own job. Even if I'm doing my own job really well, you're saying play a little bit bigger of a game, right? 
and that being invaluable could be a link to job security. It could actually protect me if my company goes through layoffs, and it might even make me happier. Well, and, and you know, being indispensable is about like, okay, I'm doing this thing. This thing is important, and I'm the only one who can do it. And in times of contracting and in times of layoff, some person, maybe layers above you or layers removed from you, decides whether what you do is important or not. Mm-hmm. People who are invaluable aren't just doing their job well. They're doing the job that needs to be done. They're paying attention to what's happening around them. They're paying attention to what their senior leaders are talking about, what their manager cares about, what's a problem for their colleagues, their stakeholders. They're more than just good at their job or have a great relationship with their boss. They're pointing themselves to the work that has the greatest impact for the organization. They're like heat-seeking missiles. How do I like find the hot spots in the organization? And then how do I work on what's hot? But meanwhile, what is a colleague who's not invaluable, but someone who's indispensable doing? What are they doing differently? Well, you know, their orientation is that they're high-performing in their realm. The difference between a rock-solid contributor and an impact player, you know, someone who's doing work that's extraordinarily valuable and impactful, is the ordinary contributor, they're very much focused on the work they want to do, like what they're passionate about, what their job is. They're very focused on the boundaries that they've created. This is my role. This is my turf, my territory. Whereas the impact player is very much oriented on what's happening around me. What's important? What are the hot topics, hot projects? You know, what are hot takes that need to happen in an organization? And they're sort of um, rangy in that they're moving to where the action is. Now, it's not that they're forsaking their job. It's just that they're willing to do the job that's needed, even if it's not necessarily what they're passionate about. They're, They're people who see passion as more of a verb than a noun. I'm going to work passionately on what's important rather than insist that I get work that I'm passionate about. So Liz, you spent 17 years at the software company Oracle, and I'm guessing that there were moments when you chose to make yourself invaluable along the way. How did you do it? I joined Oracle. They're this rapidly growing software company, and they end up doing a reorganization. And so I'm now looking for a job inside the company. In essence, I've been kind of laid off inside the company. And I'm interviewing for this job in this uh, kind of emerging training group in the company. Their main job is to do the training for all the new hires. And I answer the vice president's questions. And then it gets to the point in the interview where I get to kind of assert myself, ask him questions. And so I say to him, this company is growing so fast. Like what Oracle needs is not just a technical boot camp for its new hires, but we need a management boot camp. I would love to help build this. And what he said was, Liz, that's true, but your boss has a different problem. See, your boss has to figure out how to get 2,000 technical graduates up to speed on Oracle technology over the next year. And what would be terrific is if you could help her figure out how to do that. But I've come out of business school and I have absolutely zero interest in the nuances of correlated subqueries and database indexing techniques and database administration, this is absolutely not the job I want. 
but it's absolutely the job that needs to be done. Well, I did it. And actually, I loved it. And then within a year, they're like, we need someone to manage the group. As I pointed myself towards what was hot, I got a lot more latitude. Not only did I get a lot of advancement, I got a lot of blank checks. So is that a skill people who are invaluable cultivate, figuring out the job that needs to be done? I think the critical skill of this century really is not what you know, it's how fast you can figure out what you don't know. And it's about how fast you can learn. And managers think this as well. Like the most valuable employees are the people who are willing to experiment, admit when they've made mistakes, ask for feedback, figure things out. So, you know, part of the research I did studying these impact players, these really invaluable kinds of contributors, I asked 170 managers, like, who are your most valuable people and why? Managers love people they can just point to something and they figure out how to do it. So being invaluable doesn't just mean doing your job well. It means doing the job that needs to be done, moving to where the action is, and being ready to learn. The rewards? They might include protection from layoffs, chances for promotion, respect from bosses and colleagues, and even greater job satisfaction. Up next, how exactly we make it happen. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Okay, Liz, how can we make ourselves invaluable in our own careers? Mm. I think it starts really with our ability to see what's important. Like job number one is to see the agenda, and then to get on the agenda. Let me give you, um, I think, a fun little example. I was running a little workshop talking about the importance of like, knowing what the agenda is for your organization and then to work on that agenda. And someone came up you know, at break to me and he said, Liz, I don't think I'm working on the agenda. Like I send these weekly status reports about what I'm doing and I get nothing back. And I said, try this one thing. In your weekly status report, just write two things. Number one, what you understand to be the most important work of that organization. Number two, I just want you to describe what you're doing to further that work. That's it. He contacts me afterwards. He's like, well, first of all, my email's got a response. Now I'm getting encouragement, reinforcement, feedback. You need to pay attention to what does your boss and your boss and your boss's boss spend time on? What are topics that come up regularly in staff meetings? What do people talk about on the agenda of meetings that's not actually on the agenda of meetings? What gets funded? What gets mentioned on earnings calls and in company-wide communication? Uh, What do people obsess about? That is the agenda. 
I'm thinking about somebody who might recognize that they're not doing mission critical work at their organization. They're doing their job. They're doing exactly what they were hired for. And let's say they're doing it really well, but it's not critical. And maybe they don't have insight into what's happening in the higher ranks of the company. What can they do? They can elevate their own line of sight to see what's happening around me where I might be able to contribute. The most valuable work I did at Oracle was never work I was asked to do. It was all work I volunteered to do. In fact, probably the most important thing I did for the company in those years was a time I just invited myself to a meeting. And I surprised a few of the executives when I showed up, like, what are you doing here? This is a product strategy meeting, Liz. You run education. And I'm like, yeah, but actually I understand our technology well. We've got to do a few things to reset our strategy. I thought I could be helpful. They didn't mind. Well, there was a little bit of pushback, but I kind of squared my shoulders and said, I think I can contribute here. And it was probably the most important thing I did for the company was saying, there's something happening that's a little out of my my formal boundaries, but I think I can be helpful and let me go there. Have you seen managers push back on that? The idea of allowing their employees to do more, to volunteer to do something different and expand their horizons a bit? Well, I'm not in any way suggesting anyone storm the corporate board meeting because you think you should be running it. I I think it's about spotting opportunities where you can contribute and just raising your hand and saying, I'd be happy to contribute there. And I can share another story. This one happens to be my daughter. My daughter works at a medical lab in at Stanford, and she runs the MRI studies. And she realizes that they're not going to be able to scale their studies if she's the only one who can do this. And she also realizes she may never be able to take a long vacation because they'll have an interruption in this. She just, just took it upon herself to train a couple other people in the group on how to run these studies. And again, it's saying like, I'm actually going to make myself replaceable, but I become more valuable to the team because I'm building capacity for the whole team. And I'm doing what I know my boss would want done anyway. So if you find yourself in a position where you think you may have become indispensable, one of the ways you can turn it and become someone who's invaluable is by teaching others that skill. The impact players of the workplace are not only these standout contributors who create value themselves, they raise the level of play on a team. But Liz, what about employees who find that their managers just aren't receptive to their volunteering to do more or jump in and solve a problem that they see? I I don't think that is the norm, certainly not the norm around good leaders, but I believe those leaders are out there. My guess is that they are protecting their turf. So I would be very cautious. Like, I wouldn't go there unless it's something that's going to make your boss look good in the process. What if you can't pinpoint the specific action, but you can tell where there's going to be a need? Like you say, hey, I know that you're going to be working on this over the course of the next month. I'd be happy to jump in however it's helpful. Is that worth anything? Let's talk about the downside of doing this. Let me pick another example that I think maybe everyone has experienced. You are hosting a gathering at your home. Maybe you got a lot of friends coming over and you're in those final stages where you're in that like panic preparation and your guests start to come in. Your most favorite guests are the ones that will be like, oh, hey, you know what, Aaron? Would it be helpful if I did this? Like, can I set the table for you? Your least helpful guests are the ones who's like, Aaron, I want to help you. What can I do? Like, give me a job. And you're like, 
give me a job. It's fine. It's don't worry. Like, no, I don't have <laughs> enough time to like give you a job. But like you love the people who walk in and they see what needs to happen. And they very specifically offer to help, but they don't do it without asking. Mm-hmm. That's the way we should offer help, which is not just assumptive take charge, take over. But it's not this limp offer of help like, oh, I'd love to work on that. Could you find me a role? Well, now you've just added to the burden rather than made work light. And in my quest to become invaluable, how much of what I'm doing needs to be seen? Seen by my manager, seen by my higher-ups, my teammates? Is it okay if it's quietly helping a colleague and no one except the two of us know? Mm. Well, we find that the invaluable people, the impact players of the workplace, are doing work that is incredibly valuable, and they're doing it with this service orientation. However, there's a big danger in those that do work quietly and behind the scenes. I think we also have to be actively making sure people see our work. Now, I don't know that anyone really appreciates people who are overtly self-promoting, but I like to think of it as simply elevating our contribution, making sure that people can see the good work that we're doing. That's so elegant, elevating our contribution. We can do this gracefully. I love to watch waiters, really good waiters work, because I think it's a metaphor of how we can make sure our contribution is seen. You know, a good waiter, they're critical to a dining experience, but they're not in your face. They're working in the background on your behalf. But a really good waiter every now and then in the dining experience will pop into the foreground and say, you know what, Aaron, I've, I realize you guys are trying to make it to the theater. I went ahead and put a rush on this for you. That is good. And they're like, thank you. Their contribution and the role they're playing at critical moments, like when something goes wrong, they kind of come in. Hey, here's how I'm handling this situation. We've had a mishap over here. I'm sorry it's too late. <laughs> You're right. And I think, you know, if you want to know how to make sure that your work doesn't go unappreciated and unnoticed, just watch a few really good waiters do this and then do the same thing. I love that example. Because to be invaluable, you don't have to be in the spotlight or shout about all the great work you're doing. Liz says swooping in to fix a problem or making a thoughtful contribution is better. So is offering to help or teaching others how to do that thing that only you know how to do. Look above you and around you to learn the company's agenda and try to do that work. And as you learn, don't be afraid to share what you know. These are great ways to chart your course toward becoming invaluable and hopefully finding success along the way. But with Valentine's Day just around the corner, We're thinking about people who find something else entirely at work. A romantic partner. That's not to say that dating at work is uncomplicated. So next week, we're talking about how to navigate an office relationship. Whether you're in one, want one, or want to see way less of the one going on between your colleagues. Or your bosses. That they thought was a secret, that most definitely is not. Like the show? Tell your friends to subscribe and give us a five-star review on your favorite platform. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. 
Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer and composed our theme music. I'm Erin Delmore. See you next time. <laughs>